You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 210 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, I'm, I'm actually quite busy. I'm busy. See, there you go. There's okay. a, that's different. That's different to all of the other things I've been in the last few weeks. Um, <laughs> I am getting ready for my trip to Singapore Writers Festival. Yes, very exciting. Very, very exciting. very exciting. Yes, it's kind of weird for someone who doesn't leave their desk to suddenly, you know, get have on a plane. Have you been to Singapore before? I have. I've been a couple of times, uh, you know, in stopovers and various things, but I haven't actually, I haven't been by myself, right. which is, you know, pretty exciting. Cool. And um, I know, well, just, you know, four days on my own is probably the biggest draw card of the That's entire exercise. pretty exciting. And what are you going to do? What's your aim? So that if you go to a writers' festival of this nature, apart from obviously talking at the panels that you're scheduled to be on, do you have any particular aim or objective or goals or anything like that, apart from what you're meant to do in your regular attendance? Well, in short, not really um, okay. this time around. Like it's an interesting thing for me because um, – it's um, you know if with the with the national festivals like with Sydney Writers Festival and with with all of those sorts of things, um, part of my aim obviously is to you know meet people and and uh, when I say people you know industry people and and to to build um, a network of people who will invite me to, to speak at other things as well as at at mm. particular festival that I'm at, and so part of my aim is probably that, but because I'm sort of this is my first international, you know, foray in the speaking world. So part of me just wants to get through it and not make an idiot of myself. So there's that. Um, but also, um, you know, it's 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 an interesting thing because obviously you're going to be meeting other people, other writers always. Like I'm always, you know, wanting to talk to to um, other writers at festivals and see what's going on with them and things like that. So it's it's kind of it's about about immersing yourself in writing for mm. that period of time. Nationally, for me, it's about you know getting securing sort of other speaking uh, speaking gigs and panel appearances and things like that. Because the reality is that I don't have an enormous amount of capacity for flying overseas um, for days and days and days at a time because of the. Um, you know, the family factor in my life at this point. Yeah. Um, so I'm not necessarily looking to be, to be building, you know, a, a, an international speaking career that's going to be seeing me, you know, travelling the world for the next year. However, if the opportunity arose, <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> – I would certainly consider it. Um, so sure. I guess for me – and it's also I think about – well, part of it is is about positioning myself as the as a person that – gets asked to speak at these things. So, mm -hmm. 
from a from a national perspective, again, um, it's a fantastic addition to my CV of like, oh, Alison gets invited to international writers' festivals. Hello. Mm. Yes. Um, which Absolutely. makes me more attractive here. So, you know, obviously I will be, you know, um, doing some social media around my appearances. I will be talking to people. I will be smiling a lot um, and just doing all the things that I normally do. Awesome. Mm. And no doubt, well, hopefully you will also be um, sampling some really yummy Hainanese chicken rice. This yes. place to go, Buntonki on River Valley Road, just okay. so you know. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm fully expecting that you'll be sending me a list, Val. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my list. Um, yes. Yeah, look, I just, you know, it's. I think as, um, as a writer, as an author, particularly someone who kind of works the way I do, which is very much, um, you know, around family, around jobs, you can – you can be sort of it's it's really good just to get yourself a massive change of scenery as much as anything mm. else like it's very easy for me to be in a rut very easy mm. i do the same thing every single day um you know i work really hard i'm i'm very focused when i'm at my desk on what i need to do um you know and it's it's sometimes i think you know to the detriment of my creative brain because you just um Sometimes you, you really just need to shake yourself up a little bit and this is this is a good shake up. You know, this is me. Yeah. And also outside my comfort zone as well for um because I as I said, I, I mean I haven't dusted my passport off in a very long time. So it's um it's a good it's a good to remind myself that I am actually a person who does this and can do this. Mm. Um, I think that's also a good thing as well because you do you do get in a rut and you, you do what you can do and you do what's easy for you to do. Um, but sometimes what you really actually need to do is the stuff that's harder. Um, and mm. this, this is not, I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, we, we've talked in the past about imposter syndrome and we've talked mm. about how people suffer from it. Um, I have it as well. It, just like everyone does about things, you know, I find myself thinking, oh my God, if they invite me, if they invited the right person, do they, <laughs> <laughs> are they expecting someone else? Like, um, but, you know, I just think that you, I, I remember reading a, a little post from Deborah Abila and she's a mm. Australian children's author. And she said in the post that she challenges herself every year to do something that terrifies her. And mm. I think when I agreed to do this uh, festival, it was in the spirit of that because it was months and months away and it was just like, oh, my God, can I actually do that? But you know what? You just, you know, you just do, don't you? You do what you have to do and that's what I'll be doing. I will be smiling and looking like I know what, <laughs> I, what I'm talking about. Well, you do know what you're talking about. I, I think one of the most exciting things about the Singapore Writers' Festival at this juncture is that I really feel, because Singapore is a very young country when you think about mm. it, when it got independence and, you know, since when it was formed, when it got settled. So it's a very young country. Um, and I really feel that the the writing scene in Singapore has really come into its own very you know quite recently of course it's always been there um and and it's and it's always existed but I feel that it's now really really developed and emerged into um something that's that's really dynamic and vibrant and interesting interesting and I think that the thing with Singapore as a whole not just the writing scene because you know I worked there for three years at one period mm. in glossy magazines is that it is so much more cosmopolitan than you think it's not just 
as a country that is that is in Asia, it's incredibly cosmopolitan, and I will be interested to see whether that is reflected when you go there in the people you meet and in the writing that you um, you know will experience while you're there, mm. because. Being at such an epicenter, right, literally in the middle of the world, there are people not only from many other countries, but because it is a small island um, and not, uh, you know, a lot happens there, they really consume world news in a much, much broader fashion than we do. I, mm. I thought then when I was there, I was way more informed about um, everything that was going on in all around the world. And even the people you meet, the, the, the Singaporeans that you meet, it's really normal for in your friendship circle um, uh, to, you know, you, this friend went to Stanford, this friend went to Harvard, this friend went to Oxford, this friend went to Cambridge, this friend went to the University of Manchester, this one went to the University of Perth. So even the, the, just their international experience as well mm. is <clears throat> Really, really broad, and um, and it'll be interesting to see whether you see that reflected in their in their writing. So, well, I'm just I, I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait to sort of meet. I've been sort of having various correspondences with with um, the team that's putting the festival together, and mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to meeting them all. And I'm just looking forward to you know, it, as I said, I'm looking forward to immersing myself in in a world that I don't get to visit that often anymore. You know, no. on a major level anymore. And I, I um. I am really looking forward to that opportunity because I I feel that it's um so important to refresh you know all of your reasons for doing things and I think that the, yeah. this is the kind of opportunity that will um what will really allow me to do that so you know I will report back. Yes, keen to know. Well, we will be passing like ships in the night because this podcast, on my end anyway, is coming to you from Hawaii at this stage uh be, because this is where I've been for the past week. <laughs> you're, so, you're so glam. I mean, that's Thank the thing. Like I have to dust my passport off and yours is like, you know, practically running out of stamps. No, that is not true. So I've been here uh, as one of the facilitators on a retreat for um, female business owners. And my particular thing that I'm helping them with is how to communicate their value. So it's been such a wonderful experience and wonderful time because the last time I was in Hawaii was when I was 12 years old and I I only spent a few days there but I just thought it was heaven on earth and I swore that I would go back one day I can't believe it's taken me decades to finally get back <laughs> and I just love Hawaii I think that um because when I was little I loved Hawaii Five O, like you don't understand and then I loved Magnum PI, like you don't understand, to the point where I would use cassette tapes and tape tape the shows, like on audio, just playing back the audio and the cassette. Oh, you're kidding. No. <laughs> I could recite to you the entire episode. And then I love, even though it's the daggiest thing on earth with terrible storylines, I love the current Hawaii Five-O. So really? this is like, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, wow, okay. (laughs) It's just nostalgic for me. I I have no no response to that. I love that the opening scene is the same, not only the same um, theme music, which is very catchy, uh, it's also got, you know, uh, um, very much the similar same, uh, the the, the same um, uh, images as well. and if I'm ever, it just so everyone knows, if I'm ever in a coma and you need to get me out of the coma, 
played right. the theme from Hawaii Five O. I reckon I'll come okay. Mm. See, see, that would put me into a coma. So that's really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> okay, well, we'll move on. I just had to share my love of Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> let's move on then into the world of writing and publishing this week. Of course, it's NaNoWriMo. It's, it's, we're in the thick of it, aren't we? Nano, why, what's wrong? Why are you I'm sorry. I'm, st- I'm still not coping with the theme song and the coma. <laughs> Take a deep breath, Alison. Regroup. Okay, I'm back. Regroup. Yes, NaNoWriMo is underway. Let us know how you're going with NaNoWriMo. Yes. All of our listeners in the podcast community, make sure you join the podcast community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and we'd love to have you in the Facebook group. Um, but let us know how you're going with NaNoWriMo because one of the things about NaNoWriMo is making sure, well, is to try try to hit your targets. So mm-hmm. your target overall is 55,000 words. It's 55, 50. right? 50,000 words. That's 50. right. It's 50,000 yeah. words. Back up. Which, uh, yeah, I just <laughs> added 5,000, which people divide up differently. Some people go, oh, well, at least if I get 1,667 words each day, that's going to end up being 50,000 words. And some people divide their time up in different ways. Um, when you have done NaNoWriMo in the past, did you divide it in any kind of way to, to have some kind of daily or weekly word count or did you just go – I'm going to go for 50,000 and as long as I get there, it doesn't matter. Um, Well, interesting. No, because, um, yeah, no, because I've never made 50,000, but that's okay. What I did do though was I actually take the right everyday approach to NaNoWriMo. I know there are people who like will do eight hours on a weekend and and sort of, you know, do 10, 20,000 words, you know, or go to write-ins and stuff like that because they're working around a full-time job and – they will do that. Um, but no, my approach has always been the best way to get that number of words done or close to that number of words done in a 30 day period is actually just to do it every day. And, um, what you find and what I always find with, with writing like that is that, you know, even when you don't feel like it or you think you don't have time or you, you sort of, you know, it's that knowing that you've got to, add that word count to, to your little bar graph every day. This is the joy of NaNoWriMo, the bar graph. And I know people say Scrivener has one too, but it's not the same because it's not public. <laughs> That's the whole difference, right? So okay. knowing that you have that sort of impetus that you need to get those words done, you will, you will, you know, you, you make the time. And this is always mm. what we talk about. You make the time to sit, to at least sit down and have a crack at it. Now, what I usually find is that if I make the time to do that, even if it's like, even if I've got a 30 minute window and I think I'm not probably going to get 1,667 words done in this 30 minute window, but I am going to add to my bar graph. So I sit down and the 530 um, hashtag that we use when I'm doing write a book with Al and different things like that, um, it's a it's a hugely beneficial motivational tool, that 30 minute window, because mm. you sit down and you think to yourself, I'll probably only get 500 words done. But what you generally find is that you will write more. 
that 30, mm, you can actually write definitely. a lot of words in 30 minutes, like once you get on a roll. And the, the thing with NaNoWriMo is you are really just going for the word count. You are just pushing forward with the word count. You are getting words on the page. You are not editing. You are not mm-hmm. thinking this is crap. You are not doing anything like that because you don't have time. What you mm-hmm. need to do is add words to the page. And so if you sit down for five for, to, to half an hour and to do 500, you will often find that you'll get more done. You'll get 750. Sometimes I'll do a 1,000 words in half an hour, depending on where I'm up to. So it's adding to my word count all the time, which means that then if I do have a bit longer one day, I can write more and it will actually, you know, bump my word count up um, to, to get me sort of closer to the 50,000. So I think the only thing I can say to people who are doing it is that even if you think I don't have time to write 1,667 words today, mm. sit down and aim to write some. Because if you, yes. it's, it's the actual act of the sitting down and starting that is the key to the entire process. Because if you yes. don't sit down and start, you're definitely not going to write 1,667 words. You're going to write none. So if you actually go, you know what, I've only got 10 minutes or I've only got 30 minutes, but I'm going to get something on the page, yep. it's, a, it's a motivational thing because you start to see that bar graph grow. And maybe it's not growing, you know, up to the little line, which is to, which tells you you're going to make 50,000 by the end of the month. But I have always, you know, sworn by the process of if you've got more words at the end of November than you had at the start, then you're a winner as far as I'm concerned. Yes, and of course, if you're tuning in and you haven't heard of NaNoWriMo, it is the National Novel Writing Month. It's actually international these days where the aim is to write 50,000 words in the month. And I I think that one of the things is that you are literally one of the busiest writers I know. The, The number of things you get done, I find astounding and so many varied things. You're not just, hey, writing one book. You're, you're writing multiple manuscripts. You're writing articles. You are writing, um, you are doing, uh, building your author platform. You are uh, do, running school workshops. I don't know, you're running a family as well. I don't <coughs> know how you fit it all in. And um, I think that uh, Alison's tips on how you can actually make sure you accommodate your writing into your life in a realistic way uh, are incredibly valuable. And She's outlined all of them in the course, How to Make Time to Write. So if you're in the middle of NaNoWriMo, or even if you're not, and you're wondering, how am I going to fit all this in? How am I actually going to do 50,000 words or even come close? Then um, check out Alison's course, How to Make Time to Write. Just go to writerscentercomau slash time. That's writerscentercomau slash time. Now, you have a link for us from the Kill Your Darlings blog, don't you? Oh, I do. Um, so this is an interesting one. Uh, Kill Your Darlings is a, a, a literary magazine, um, mostly online now, I think, uh, from memory. But um, they are running a, an award, the 2018 Kill Your Darlings New Critic Award. So there's an interesting thing, isn't it? So um, often they're writing awards, but this is actually for a literary critic. This award will assist the vocational development of an early career critic. Um, And it's only open in 2018 to book critics. Uh, You can nominate a preferred genre if you wish, um, although they do encourage familiarity with the broader publishing industry, particularly the Australian market. And the winner will receive $3,000 in prize money. Um, as well as a regular, so it's a thousand dollar cash prize and the publication of a regular books column 
um, mm. with Kill Your Darlings in 2018. So it's a real boost. If you are someone who is interested in being a literary critic or you're just starting out in that area, um, definitely um, an award to have a look at and um, consider entering. Yeah, definitely. We'll put the link in the show notes, which you can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Now, the next link we have is from Electric Lit, 10 books that were written on a bet. (laughs) (laughs) Which, let's face it, I just really love, I mean, you know, it's it's a clickbait headline. I could not resist (gasps) that headline. Uh, so it's at electricliterature.com, 10 oh. books that were written on a bet. And they basically go through these 10, you know, classics, you know, bestsellers, the whole bit that started out as a wager. And the first one that they have is Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Who, no. by Dr. Seuss, which of course was one of my favorite books as Absolutely. a kid. Absolutely. And that came from this bet. I'll bet you $50 that you can't write a book using only 50 words. Seuss's publisher, Bennett Kerf, once said to him, and the rest is history. I do not like them, Sam, I am. I used to be able to recite that book. Wow. I, I love, love that it. book. It's cool. I loved it. So Frankenstein by Mary Shelley was also written on a bet. Uh, Mary Shelley was at the Villa Diodati near Lake Geneva when Lord Byron suggested that those present should endeavour to write frightening ghost stories. What was initially a fun few hours during a storm resulted in Mary Shelley's romantic gothic classic. There you As go. As one does. As yes. one does, yes. Who needs NaNoWriMo when you can just have a bet from Lord Byron? Well, yeah, whilst you're lolling about on the shores of Lake Geneva. Exactly. Um, but I like her. So J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, um, yes. who were, you know, f- friends, long-standing friends, and as described in this article, the iconic friendship between these two authors is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Legend has it that they made a bet that they would try writing in a new genre. With a simple flip of a coin, it was determined that Lewis would write a space travel story while Tolkien would have a go at time travel. And so they both went and wrote books. Lewis um, successfully created a space trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, um, Perilandra and That Hideous Strength. But mm. Tolkien, on the other hand, wrote that his effort ran dry. So Lewis mm. was the only winner of that particularly hefty bet. Um, I wonder if there was money involved. Um, well, hefty mm. bets suggest there was money involved. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, so, uh, yeah, there there are a bunch of other ones, including um, The Mysterious Affair at Styles by Agatha Christie. Of course, the very famous, um, and I think it's a little bit of a myth, how somebody uh, challenged Hemingway to write a novel in six words or write a story, mm-hmm. sorry, not a novel, write a story in six words, apparently at a bar somewhere. And um, uh, he came up with For Sale, Baby Shoes Never Worn. However... There's been some discussion as to whether that is fact, in fact, is just literary myth or whether that is true, but it is a great example, mm-hmm. of course, of, of a story in six words. Uh, and um, the, yeah, there's a bunch of others as well, which we will include in the link in the show notes from Electric Lit. Hmm. I think that that's, would you ever do that? Write a book on a bet? Yeah. I don't know. It would depend on how good the bet was. 
Yeah, you wouldn't just do it while you were lolling about on Blake Geneva probably. You're almost – I mean, honestly, every book ever written is almost written on a bet. Like you're kind of – you're backing yourself in on a wager, aren't you, that, that may or well, may not pay yeah. off in the sense that, you know, you spend a lot of time um, – putting together a manuscript that you then, well, you know, obviously now with indie publishing and self-publishing, you can you can pop it out there yourself and see how it goes. But then that's a bit, you know, well, more of a gamble, isn't it, than it, in itself. But it's, um, yeah, you know, you send it out in the hopes that somebody will, will love it as much as yes. you do. And that's so you're making a bet with yourself, maybe. Mm. Wager, mm. whatever. True, true. Right, let's move on to the big news of the week is that uh, the course How to Write Media Releases has been launched and people are already doing it. And I got a um, Facebook message just yesterday, or not yesterday, uh, uh, last week, um, that uh, said, wrote a media release and sent it out and already have had two pieces of publicity. Now, I mentioned this. Yeah, I know, two pieces of publicity. This is a beauty salon owner in Melbourne. And so obviously it works. Wow. (laughs) The thing is that um, this particularly is useful to, sure, business owners who want more publicity, but it's particularly useful for the copywriters out there who want to add Mm -hmm. another string to their bow because you may well be writing, you know, website copy or content or blog posts and that sort of thing. But if you have a client that you're writing all of these things for, then if you can actually say, I can write media releases that actually get results as well, Mm. is that's something that that is priceless, to be honest, because the kind of publicity they can get as a result of a well-crafted media release that appears in the right spot is amazing. So um, check out the course How to Write Media Releases if you want to add another string to your writing bow, especially if you're a copywriter, I reckon it's essential and you'd be mad not to learn the skills because that just improves your own copywriting and your own Mm. content writing skills. Mm. So um, you can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash media. That's writercenter.com.au slash media. All right, now, our competition this week, Al, is pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> as soon what as we I got? saw this book, I thought, oh, my God, we've got to get do this book as a giveaway. Mm-hmm. It's called <laughs> Upside Down Dogs. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> it's called Upside Down Dogs and it's uh, by a – is, I just love it because it just makes me laugh and giggle every time I, I open it. And basically it's a book of photographs of dogs that are upside down. <laughs> oh, you astound me. Really? That's what it's about? <laughs> so cute. There's not a lot of reading involved, but there is a lot of um, looking at gorgeous pictures, turning the pages and giggling. It's by the photographer, a Brisbane photographer called Serena Hodson. So pooches of all sizes, shapes and colours show us their most lovable self upside down. Now, I just, it just it's just hilarious. Who would think, oh, I'm going to make a book about upside down dogs and just take photographs of dogs that are upside down. Um, now, as I said, there isn't a lot of writing in this book, but it is an awesome book to have or flick through or to get as, um, you know, as a gift. Uh, but because the author in inverted commas, um, who is really a photographer, 
didn't really write anything for the book. I actually interviewed her for my other podcast, So You Want to Be a Photographer. Ah. <laughs> if anyone wants to know how to take pictures of upside down dogs. <laughs> we thought that the um, the actual giveaway, our competition, we have three copies of upside down dogs to give away. Entries close on the 13th of November, 2017. And if you want your chance to win these cute, cute, cute books, then go to Writer Centre dot com dot au slash win that's writercenter.com.au slash win now ow <laughs> if i just say yes <laughs> i couldn't be more ready wait no wait till we could just fast forward no 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 are you ready for the word of the week <laughs> <laughs> yes val i'm ready <laughs> okay so it is Miasma, that's M-I-A-S-M-A, miasma. Hmm. Have you used that? Have I used it? No, I don't think I've used it. Sounds like plasma or No, it makes something. me think of fog. I think of fog and – Really? Um, yeah, 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 that's – yeah, you're, you're, you're pretty accurate because this refers to miasma, refers to an unhealthy atmosphere, usually resulting from something that is decomposing. So you might say the area around the sewerage plant or the tip had an unpleasant miasma, or even you could use it a little, more, a little bit less literally and you could say there was a miasma of tension in the room. A miasma of tension? Seriously? Mm. Yeah, I think so because atmosphere, you can use it like as a – you know, mm. analogy or an, a metaphor mm. kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. So um, miasma, there you go. Mm. That's the word of the week. If you use it in a in social media or in a uh, blog post, make sure you ping us because we'd really love to know um, how you've used it in a sentence. Miasma. All right, let's move on to our writer in residence this week, shall we? Oh, let's. <laughs> you weren't paying attention. Seriously wasn't, wasn't I? That was really <laughs> obvious. I'm so sorry. I've totally just synapsed right out into my own mias- my miasma there. <laughs> I had a ball chatting to Deborah, Deborah Rodriguez, who is an American author currently living in Mexico, but have spent a lot of time in Afghanistan. She, you will have definitely seen her books, if not read them, because they're always on the bestseller lists. She wrote The Little Coffee Shop of Kabul, Return to the Little Coffee Shop of Kabul, and also two memoirs, The Kabul Beauty School and The House on Carnival Street. Um, And uh, her latest book is The Zanzibar Wife. Now, the thing is, when she wrote her first book, um, this is interesting that we talked about books that were written as a result of bets, because after her first book, her children said, oh, mum, you're a one-hit wonder. (laughs) Bet you couldn't do it again. Seriously? But she did, and she did again and again and again. And like I said, her latest book is The Zanzibar Wife. Let's have a chat to Deborah Rodriguez. Thanks so much for joining us today, Debbie. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited that you're calling me. So your latest book, The Zanzibar Wife, is about to be released. And for readers who haven't got their hands on the book yet, can you tell us what it's about? 
Well, it's about um, three very amazing women um, that come together in very unusual circumstances. And um, it's kind of about secrets and the women coming, uh, overcoming adversity and it goes from Oman, actually, into Zanzibar. We are covering its two different locations. And um, it's got a lot of surprises in there. We've got a little bit of voodoo and a little bit of some supernatural stuff that's happening. But in the in the end, the bottom line, it's it's about women helping women. And it's kind of a girl power thing. Cool. And so it's set in Oman and Zanzibar, as you've said. And did you decide to have that setting? Because I understand you went to Oman. Did the did your visit to Oman inspire this, or did you go to Oman after you decided? Oh, I think I'm going to set my next book there. No, you know what? I had been looking for a location, and I had stories. Like I, I'm a collector of people who can possibly be good characters and I'm a collector of stories. So like I have all these little stories in a pot and I had this idea of what I thought a book could be. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know the location. And so I actually kind of went to Oman the first time to audition the country to see (laughs) if my, if my stories, I know it's really odd, but to see if I could plug in a story that would, because I, I, and I didn't know if it would work at all. And when I first got there, it's such a beautiful, peaceful, calm place and not a lot of drama. I was almost wasn't certain. And then um, it wasn't until I met my driver and he said to me, I said, so I asked him, you know, different questions. And he, he kept saying, and my father's Zanzibar wife and my father's Zanzibar wife says, how many wives does your father have? Well, he's had five. How many does he have now? Only one, my mother, because my mother made him divorce all the Zanzibar wives. And I thought, ooh, I think there's something there. And so it wasn't till then I went back and I had kind of been just researching all the amazing kind of the one town I went to was Bahala and it's like claimed as one of the most haunted places on earth. And Mm. so I thought, oh, this is sounds just very intriguing. And so but when I went back the second time, I already kind of had the outline of the book. And so I was following the path of my characters just to make it real. And so see, and at that point, the book decided to do what it wanted to do. And I was no longer in control because it decided the story that it wanted to write. And it's, it's like, it takes on its own powers and it's yeah. very, it's very odd. Sometimes you have this whole thing in your head and it just changes and changes pathways on you. And it was so, yeah. So it kind of goes, you know, 
sometimes it's a uh, uh, location driven and sometimes it's um, you know story driven so I you know you have to test it to see if it will work so was your driver the turning point or if it wasn't for your driver when you say that uh, you were auditioning the country what would have been the successful elements that they would have passed the audition <laughs> well you know what I didn't it, it was actually really kind of hard because the Omanis keep everything really close to their chest. So it's not like you can really see that you're not getting much information from them. And it wasn't, um, it was when I was overwhelmed at the, the amazing beauty of this country. Um, it's so, so different than everything surrounding it, you know, between uh, it was such a tolerant country when people often think it's not because it's situated, you know, by Yemen and, you know, it's not as conservative as Saudi Arabia and it's not as blingy as Emirates. And so I, I wanted it to I, I I thought that I could bring in so much color from the the Zanzibar section of it. And so I it was it was kind of hard. It was just like it's a feeling, right? And so I'm, I oh it's like I'm waterboarding anybody who, who gets next to me in a vehicle or a restaurant because I'm like interrogating them about <laughs> everything. And it's I, I'm sure it's awful and but I just, I'm like trying to, you know, I'm a hairdresser, right? So I get people in my chair and I can get them to talk. And so that's what I was doing. And I did that with everybody. And then pretty soon, like I, the concierge, I mean, you name it, nobody, nobody stood a chance. And once I could break through to like, oh, we're always so, it's always so this. It's, once I could break through the, what they wanted the tourists to see, once I could break through that, then I knew I had the story and I knew it would take some work. Um, but I, I knew that I, I knew it would be okay. And it was a fantastic location. Yeah. And so you have ridiculously successful books uh the little coffee shop of kabul return to the little coffee shop of kabul the kabul beauty school the house on carnival street now as you say you started life off in hairdressing you went to beauty school when did you think oh i think i might try writing on the side you know it's really funny because i never ever and, and, you know, even to this day, I, I always think of myself as a storyteller more so than a writer. I don't know if I can't wrap my head around that, but I always could create stories. And I did that when I was younger and, and I always wrote like, like one X plays or skits, but only in the form of telling the story. And then it wasn't until I was in Afghanistan and I realized that, um, I documented everything. And actually, the book I wanted to write instead of the Kabul Beauty School, I wanted to write the book, There's Warlords in My Living Room. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> maybe 
maybe that one will come, you know, maybe that one will be written someday. So it was this were thing you, when I realized. Doing, were you doing the hair? The, the I was doing it. No, no. But I remember, I remember I was, I had, uh, I had a coffee house, right? And so I, that was my social place. And I was married to an Afghan who was an assistant to a warlord, which is kind of problematic at times. And so I remember coming home, it was maybe nine o'clock, 8.30 at night. And I would call, I would always have to call before I could come home from the coffee house. And I'd say, so I'm coming home now. Oh no, Debbie, you can't come home. There's warlords in our living room. So it's like, okay, I'll stay out a little while longer. So it was kind of funny. Yes. So at what point did you think, you know, I'm going to be, I'll I'll write. Did you just decided I want a a, a new pastime or or did you think I'm going to be an author now? No, you know, I really thought that the Cabo Beauty School story needed to be told. It was so amazing and um, I felt like I really had a window into a life that it was an amazing window and it felt that it, I really felt it needed to be shared. And the girls really wanted me to, to put a face on what was kind of happening over there and the girls in my school. And so that was when I thought, you know what, um, I think I can do this. And you know, thank God for really, really good editors. And it was, it was really, it was hard. It was really tricky. And then it wasn't till after that, Mike, and I'm back in the States now and my kids kept calling me a one hit wonder. (laughs) I said, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are mom. I'm like, okay, watch, I'll show you. And then I thought, you know, I felt like, I felt like I had to leave Afghanistan really quickly, you know, because of security situations. And I, I was grieving everything so desperately. I was grieving my life in Afghanistan. And that's when I wrote the little coffee shop because I wasn't ready to let it go. And I, I didn't, I didn't want to go uh, nonfiction. I really wanted it to be a fiction and, you know, but it, it's so close to real that it's ridiculous. But I didn't, I wasn't ready. I didn't, wasn't ready to go nonfiction again. So I played it safe and went fiction. So you, it's officially fiction, but if you're saying that it's so close to real, then, you know, I guess only, know you, you, only you know what's fiction and nonfiction. But this book, The Zanzibar Wife, is fiction. I'm, I'm, I'm it, is, it is fiction. But yeah, so, yes, go on. I want to hear the but. <laughs> so, you know what? I have, I have a really, really uh, bad habit, and my bad habit is – Unless I've lived it, I can't, I have to feel it. I have to smell it. I have, I have to live it in order for it to become real to me. If it's not real to me, which is meaning being in that situation, I really struggle. And so that's why I went, that's why I went back. I mean, I had enough information for Oman and, you know, but that's why I went back and I traced the footsteps. And so I literally lived my character's life Mm -hmm. and I got myself into some 
really interesting predicaments. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I am really taking one for the team here because it was it was I was in the most haunted place like in the world. And it was really interesting and unnerving because uh, I literally had to I went through with a witch doctor it was it was very unnerving but I thought okay how do you write about like an exorcism right mm. <laughs> what would I know about it so it was so it was and my so tell, and, tell me more <laughs> about that this most haunted place in the world that you went to with the witch doctor what happened in real life what happened in real life is I had heard about I'd heard about this town. I mean, you can see it on National Geographic. You can Google it and it's there. But I was so surprised this was like in the middle of this little mountain village and it's supposedly the birthplace of the gin, which is like our gene the you know, genie, genie in the bottle. And also it's where um you know, there's magic. I mean, they're, they're no, everybody is afraid. Like if you ask anybody from Dubai to go to Bala, they'd say, no, I'm not, no, <laughs> just flat out. Like they'd be afraid to. And wow. so I knew, I heard about this one tree in in this special, uh, this little, um, little marketplace and, Somebody had said, well, I think if you, the, the guy that's in front of that tree, he might be like your magic man. And I, I mean, I, it's hard to find, I mean, searching this out, nobody wants to talk about it. Right. And so I went and I went into that town in this mountain into the tree and found the shop. And I basically just came out and, you know, cause you know, Americans are pretty forthcoming. I said, so are you the, are you the guy that does the magic? And he's, and it was so funny. And he sat me down. He said, sit, sit in my little shop. And I sat there and then he told my driver to leave. And he says, you will come to my home. And I'm like, Oh goodness, I'm going to, I'm going to die in this village. <laughs> and I thought, I didn't know where I was. And I says, okay, okay. And I said, and I went and it was, he was remarkable. I'm still, I still text him and his son, like at least weekly. And, mm-hmm. you know, he decided, and he's, and it was very odd. He, he told me, I sat there with him and the whole time, you know, you're in this mountain village, you're in the scariest town in the world, and you got this magic guy, right? And his phone is like making that that bird sound when the yeah. tweets are coming through. His phone is just, and he's like tweeting, and I'm thinking, <laughs> this, this is really weird. And then um, he invited, he's, uh, I was with Ellen, who I work with, and uh he invited us for dinner and she's looking at, you know, first of all, we left our driver. We had no choice. So we mm-hmm. sat and we we're having lunch with him and his son and his son spoke good English. So he's translating. And then he sat there and he started to tell me things about me that nobody in the world knew. Really? And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, 
Jeez, Ellen, you know, and I'm looking at her and then then he says, you know, you had have had a spell put on you, right? And I had no I had known and he said, You I had a spell put on you while you were in a Muslim country and probably by he said, Were you married to anybody, you know, in a Muslim country? And I'm like, Oh goodness, I don't even want to go there, right? And um he says, Well, you've had a spell and it's still there. Do you want to get rid of it? I'm looking at Ellen. I'm thinking, well, I don't know. (laughs) It's never really bothered me that much. He goes, oh, you need to get rid of it. And Ellen's going, you know, you you got to do this. This is research, Deb. It's research. And I'm thinking, oh, "Oh, goodness. I says, I says, please don't leave me. Please don't leave me, Ellen. And so – it was then, and so you could read all of. I mean, it's. I've wrote about it in the Q and A's in the book, and I mean, the whole thing was unbelievable. And Ellen being a, an amazing skeptic of like all things supernatural, right? She thought if I had not seen it with my own eyes, I would have never ever believed it and me I was a little rattled by it because it was happening to me right I'm thinking Mm. next time somebody else can do this so it was it was it was unbelievable scary enlightening um yeah it was something else so did you ever feel in danger no no, they were so they were so welcoming and so such a beautiful family and the children. I'm like like having an exorcism or something, and the children the children are are running in and out of the room, and of course Ellen's taking notes of how this all works, and nobody paid any attention to it, and I'm like draped with this big shawl that has burn marks in the back because they put frankincense under my scarf under this big Mm. shawl obviously it had burnt burnt up before and like I'm covered I have frankincense burning under this giant shawl thinking oh my god I'm gonna I I have asthma I'm thinking oh I'm gonna die really thought I was gonna die there for a minute I was I was scared I have to say I was a bit unnerved because I didn't know what was I didn't know what I was doing I didn't know what was gonna happen and I'm not I don't discount any sort of but you you knew that he wasn't like he was one of the good guys right like in all of this I've you know there's good ones and there's bad ones so he wasn't a bad guy and he goes travels the world doing this (laughs) and how I found him in front of the tree in this little village and so that was remarkable I mean it's like oh goodness so, it's yeah. adventurous. Now, for anyone who is tempted to rush into the bookstore and go to the back of the book to read the Q&A, I just warn you that it contains spoilers, so read, read, read the book first. Um, now, you're obviously very adventurous and you you went to Oman, you did all of these things, you visited the most haunted place on earth and, and so on. When you're doing your research, as your friend Ellen refers to it, 
<laughs> are you is there a process as in are you just experiencing it and then and then and that's the main thing or do you take notes like how do you capture the the sights and the sounds and the and and the experiences into some kind of form so you don't forget later right no videos being taken all the time i have hours and hours and hours i rehired that same uh driver who was so surprised to see me the second time and mm. since i've sent my friends to him and sent my friends to meet the family in Bala because they're so generous and gracious. And no, but I take pictures of everything, uh, videotape, you know, tons of things. Like what does that drive look to say the potters with the magic in their fingers? What did that drive look like? Videotaping out of both sides of the car windows. I'm recording everything and um I mean it it's a real it, it takes both Ellen and I to gather this information because and and I and it's it's hard it's easier for me to do this with somebody with me than doing it by myself it's impossible because I'm jabbering the whole time right so um it really need you know or and if I am by myself trying to do something, I have to go back and I have to like go through all my pictures and write everything that I felt and I smelled. Smell is, I mean, for me to engage with all the senses, everything, I'd be able to smell it. What did that feel like when you opened the door in a sandstorm? What did that Mm. feel like? How did your throat feel? You know, everything. I and that's that's my. I mean, I. It would be easier for me if I didn't have to go and retrace everything and make Mm. sure that I've got the details. But I like the details. And so, when you, you you obviously you know, do a lot of documentation and videos and, and that sort of thing. Can you give us some idea then when you come back, is that when you start the actual writing or do you do some writing while you're there? No, no writing while I'm there. That's impossible because you're just, you're absorbed in everything you're seeing. Like typically, like right now I'm I'm working on a project that I not, can't talk about right now but so you know there'll be storyboarding and storylining of everything and then a visit to the area then kind of get everything in a broad sense and then I'll follow the footsteps of everything again and so that's kind of but then that's all like you're just gathering information you're you Mm. know buying local books that may have uh, stuff about folkloric stuff and sayings and, um, you know, you're just really, and then you're getting your contacts of the people who have a better grasp of the language so that you know that, oh, I'm trying to say this. How would that, how would you say this sentence? And Mm. would that, you know, I have to, I like, I toss it back to whoever I've made contact with in the country and toss it back to them. Can this happen? And you know, what was really interesting for the Zanzibar part is, um, 
I had hired a local guide or a, a well, I had hired a local guide and then he was very conservative and I needed some underbelly. And so I, there'd been, you know, you can't, you can't go five feet without stumbling over a gigolo in that country. So I figured, you know what, I bet you he understands the underbelly. And so, um, I literally told him what I was looking for, which was, you know, not in his, you know, I told him I was looking for the story and I needed to find the house of these people. I needed to find another witch doctor. I mean, when you're going in countries looking for witch doctors, <laughs> it is not in the brochure. And no. so, you know, so it was just amazing because then I literally, it was so cute because he said to me at the end of like, it was um, maybe three or four days that were hardcore research on that. He said to me, he says, this is, I have never felt more rewarded in my life. He said, I wish that I had a job that when I'm done at the end, I feel like I do right now. Wow. And so he was, he was have he was, he had gotten so involved in the story and to him, they were real people and they were to me too. And so, you know, and it was, it was really, and it was really sweet. And mm. so you never know who you're going to meet. They're unlikely it, as my books are. I have, I, I have unlikely friendships, mm. you mm. know, and I like that. And so you mentioned storyboarding. Um, how of, with the Zanzibar wife? Did you storyboard most of the story, the the, the plot, the the various um, threads through it before you started writing, or, or do you kind of pretty much know what you're going to write in, in this instance, or do you discover things as you as you write? Yeah, you know, I have a basic. I I I basically find my characters right, like. Mm-hmm. I know that I need these characters and I know that I I have kind of a, a broad storyboard. And then I try to um, say throw the, uh, you know, how I would see the arc of the book going, how I see the journey of each of my characters. And often though, and then, but once you're, you know, how you, it, with writing, once you're in it, it sometimes takes a life of its own. And then, you know, it, they change. Like, well, I may, I may think I'm doing one story or this character is going in one direction and it will change on me sometimes. But I mean, that's, I think that's everybody goes through that when they're writing. Sure. So when you are writing, you've come back, you've done your research, you've lived it, and you're ready to properly write. Can you tell me what your typical writing day would look like when you're actually writing a book? So, you know, whether you have a routine or any rituals or whether you have a word count um, target, just kind of like your creative process on your an actual writing day. You know, I, I'm – I'm not, I'm, I'm not as disciplined as I wish I was because Mm -hmm. I still, I still do hair. Right. And so when I'm working really hard, I know, right. I do hair in Mexico. I have a little spa. And so I still, I know I still do hair and I've just become a hypnotist. So I'm busy, busy. And so I, um, 
I will plot out a day like, okay, I need to really focus on this for these next four days. And, you know, I plow, plow through it. And then um, I'm very, um, I have to hear, I have to tell the story out loud. That's mm-hmm. my big thing. I can't, I can't, I can't write it first. I have to really? speak it yeah. So what do you do? How do you do? You speak it to somebody or into a tape yeah. recorder? Or oh, what? everybody! Everybody gets it. I mean, I tell. <laughs> yeah, no. There's nobody safe. Nobody. And <gasps> I mean, my cat. Like my cat has all my stories. And oh. so, I mean, I have to say it out loud, and then I have to a lot of reading out loud because if I'm fumbling over my words or. Um, but I, I, I say it out loud a lot. That's, I have to, I have to hear it. And wow. then I bounce, I, I, I do a lot of bouncing back and forth with, with other people to make sure it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but I'm not real, I'm not, I'm not as scheduled as I would like to. I, I'm just not, that's not <laughs> my you know, I'm, I'm not like a nine to fiver. Like I can maybe handle four hours, five right. max. And then so I'm if done. you if you have to say it out loud, you're saying it out loud to your cat and to everyone. Are you actually, is someone actually noting it down or are you just kind of practicing your verbal I'm, storytelling yeah, until you get I'm it just, right? I'm just, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm again, I'm still doing hair. Right. Mm-hmm. And so my customers, oh my goodness. I have like, you know, <laughs> a, a, a full head color foil. I mean, I can tell a lot in a, you know, that two and a half hours. Right. And so, and then they're asking me questions. And so I'm sorting everything out in my head. And plus I'm not a, good sleeper and so I sort it out in my dreams which is really weird but like I plot all night long it's like I'm so busy and so um and then and then it's just a a back and forth process just trying to um get it into uh you know a chapter and then so once you then, feel you've got it right verbally, that's when you write it. That's, yeah. And then, of course, it takes on a life of its own. And, yeah, yeah. And then, so you tell know, me but then – oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You go on. No, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, uh, so when you uh, – give me an idea of uh, just including the verbal storytelling practice. After you came back from Oman – what was the gestation period for this book? How long did it take you till you finally had a manuscript that you would send to oh. publisher? Oh goodness, that's a tricky question because I can't remember. Let's see. I came back from. It was really uh, the time frame of the second trip was really. I was. So that was. April and then I went off to Zanzibar in October. I think the manuscript had to be to them by January. Yeah. And so I it was yeah. But but yeah, no, but I mean there'd been a lot of, you know, writing before. I mean, it's usually about a year. Mm -hmm. And so and usually 
two hefty trips in the middle of that. Right. And just because, you know, you're, you're trying to uh, get the last, because Zanzibar, um, you know, I'd never been and I really needed to. Oman, the first trip to Oman was like a, a scouting trip. And the second one was definitely plowing in and getting it going. And then, uh, then the Zanzibar one wasn't until like, like this time, it would have been this time last year that I was in Zanzibar. So the writing part, it sounds like doesn't actually take too long. It's the lead up to the writing that is that takes up a lot of time because you're doing so much of the research and the, the forming it in your head and all of that kind of stuff. Would that be right? Well, no, I think that it all it all is pretty time consuming. I mean, the <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty time consuming. It's you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's a full time job. Yes, yes. Plus, <laughs> plus doing air. But then, plus you know, doing what, so, but the but thing is, though, with what I do try to schedule is uh, I'm a, my, I'm season, I'm in Mazalan. So I have this little family owned and operated spa, right? And mm-hmm. so my, so I'm basically doing the tourist hair and I've got like the expatriates who are living here. And so actually my season's very short. So it's basically like November till, um, May. So then after that, I'm free. Like I don't, I don't have any, I don't have to deal with the hair part of it. So I do like to try to schedule it so that the big part of the book is taking place during the time I'm not having to um, Mm. focus on the salon. So now that you have so many very successful books under your belt and you're obviously working on another project, the one that you can't talk about in the future, are you planning to, do you have a plan in terms of, Oh, I'm going to write a book a year or a book every two years or whatever. Have you, have you kind of vaguely even thought out your, your next several steps? Yeah, I would like to, I mean, I would like to get, I, I, what, like I've had a bit of lag time now because I had not pitched a new book. And so, but it's really, it's really ideal when you can hand a book in and then now focus on the next one and start getting uh, that done so that it doesn't, you don't have so much time in between because you know, the whole book writing process and then the publishing process, it, you know, you get, it's, it's a, it's a long time. And so, um, yeah. So then you've got like a year or year and a half between getting another book out there. So if your children had not said to you, Hey, you're a one hit wonder. Do you think you would be in this position now? You know what? I don't think so because, (laughs) uh, I know I, I, I don't think actually I, I didn't know that I loved to to write fiction. I felt nonfiction was it was easy for me because I lived it, and that's maybe why I keep doing it, doing my style now where I have to live it because it felt it was just clear because I see everything like a I see everything like a movie. 
right? So when I'm writing, I still see it like a movie, mm-hmm. you know, like I can, I, I can watch it. And mm-hmm. so, cause I, I need, and that's why, um, that's why for me, even though it's fiction, there's got to be some really real elements to it. Otherwise it feels, would feel like an impossible. I don't think my imagination is that good, right? It would seem like, because I like things to feel real. Yes. Yes. You know, for and sure. so no, and I didn't know, I didn't know if I could do fiction. Yeah, right. because you know, I I didn't know because that was I mean I'd done nonfiction so it was based on like my life so how hard is that right <laughs> I mean you've already know the ending and so <laughs> so what's the most challenging part of writing fiction do you think for you you know for, you know for the first the the most challenging and like I mean I've just the big breakthrough just happened like in the last two days. Right. But again, you got to find that really compelling storyline. And then because my readers like a more of exotic locations. So you need to have female driven, an exotic story, you know, an exotic location, a really compelling cultural surprises, all that sort of stuff. You need to be able to make sure that it fits organically, that you're not forcing it so hard, right? And so that's why, I mean, you wind up auditioning different storylines. Like I have a bag of storylines, right? I constantly am writing a a small storyline and then I pull them out and then sometimes two of them will merge together. But it's hard, I think, to find that when the two meet perfectly and you think, got it, boom, done. That's the hard part. Yes, yes. And it sounds, but it sound, also sounds like you're able to test out some of your storylines when you're doing hair, maybe. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is you're trying to make, you're finding a character that, first of all, is relatable. Somebody mm. for me that is, like somebody believable, somebody you like, you know, and now how do you get them in this exotic location that doesn't feel forced, Mm. right? How do you do that? Like trying to find these very uh, entertaining, but yet culturally, you know, right there, plus current, right? Staying really Mm. current with something that's happening now without like, you know, doing the same story over and over, like, be, you don't want to be beating that dead horse. Like, oh, I got that formula. So boom, I can do one, just change a few things. I don't like to do that. I like it to be very organic and mm. very, um, like I said, if it can't really happen, then I, then I don't want to do it. Like it needs yeah. to be able to really happen because then, then I think the the readers can travel with you because they know it's, you know, I don't, I'm not a sci-fi writer, you know, mm, I'm not mm. that. I want it, 
feel like that any one of my readers could be experiencing that same thing at you know and feeling the same emotion that mm. my character characters are they're just being you know traveled someplace different and finally what's your advice for aspiring writers who hope to be in a position like you are one day you know maybe they're they're doing hair and and, right? and they they want to transition or they want to add another string to their bow what's your advice to people who are listening who want to do that you know, I think it's really important that no matter what, you stay true to your craft. And um, I think that writing is very artistic and it's an art form. You're just painting a beautiful canvas of a story. And if you focus on, um, you know, I think for, if you focus on like, oh, my goodness, I need to sell this book. I need to see that you want the book to sell, but you need to focus on your craft and you need to focus on the um, take that time to to get to know your characters and and think about the book as a piece of art versus as like, a, you know, your moneymaker, right? And I, I think that's, you know what, it's probably why I still do hair. You know, it's so funny because I always think of it as my craft, as my yes. art. And it's like, yeah, it's just I'm painting a picture. I like, and I like painting and I like creating pictures and I like creating stories. And so I never really think about it as my income, Mm. I love yeah, that. Think of your book yeah. as a piece of art. It's a, yeah, it's a great way to think about it. Thank you so much for joining us today and for all of your insights and congratulations on the new book. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun. Thanks. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course, Become a Children's Author, will help you get there faster. Find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love, all in a couple of hours a week. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning from anywhere and get your very own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash children's author. That's writerscentre.com.au slash children's author. There you go, Deborah Rodriguez. Well, that was a really interesting um, interview on a whole range of levels, but I I can't quite get past the fact that she still does hair. I know, right? <laughs> internationally best-selling author and she still loves doing people's hair. She still loves doing her beauty salon and, she, as she said, she just loves creating things. So, hey, Fantastic. fine, if that's your outlet. <laughs> that's Absolutely. Awesome. So it's no different to painting or crazy wood art, right? <laughs> I suppose so. All right, so this week I'm coming back from Hawaii and you're jetting off to Singapore and um, we'll be on planes, trains and automobiles, it seems. Yes. Do you think you'll be writing on the plane? What do you do on planes? Well, in saying that, my plan is to actually get some writing done on the plane because, you know, I'm sort of – I always do – I don't – I'm not – yeah, 
I haven't actually officially signed up for Nano this year, but that's not to say that I don't use the momentum of the online vibe to get the writing done. So, and the reason I didn't sign up officially was because I just knew like, you know, you, you, you have to be sensible about things sometimes. And mm. I looked at my, um, I looked at what I had coming up in November and I thought to myself, um, cause originally I was going to sign up, you know, despite mm. what I had coming up in November. And then I just thought to myself, you know what, Alison, you just don't need to add that extra level extra of, bit pressure. of pressure because yeah, what yeah. happens of Get course it. with me is that it, it all becomes very much a, um, uh, you know, it's all very public, you know, and it becomes mm. write a book with Al and, and you know, mm. there's, a, you know, lots of people look out for my posts every day to be, you know, putting their own word counts and and, it, and it's a great thing, but it's also that it adds a level of, a, a, an extra level of accountability for me. Um, mm. And so I actually, sometimes I think you just have to be sensible. And so I decided I would be sensible. So I haven't signed up officially, but that is not to say that I am not using, hoping to use the, you know, and using the momentum of the online vibe to get the writing mm. done. So my theory is that the best possible time I'm actually going to have to get some words done is going to be on the plane. Yes. Two eight-hour flights. And I have no intention of writing for the entire eight hours because mm. actually I just want to sit there with my headphones on. Um, mm. And really the fact that no one can get me for those eight hours is yes. really attractive. So I'm not going to – I have no intention of, of saying I'm going to write for eight hours on the plane. I'm just going to mm. make sure that I get some done. So, you know, I'll do that. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to well watch done. something really – probably not Hawaii Five O, but something really <laughs> bad <laughs> on video. That's what I'm going to do. What about you? Yes. Do you write on planes? What do you do with your plane trips? <laughs> I do if it's daytime. So I do try and think logically which time zone would make the most sense. Yeah. Um, so if it's daytime, I definitely write and I will write kind of like till, well, I don't write during the meals and stuff, obviously. Um, but then if when that's not happening, I write kind of until the electricity runs out on my and the power runs out on yep. my device. Yep. Um, but if it's nighttime, no, I don't. I will um, basically have my meal and then I will watch movies until I fall asleep and mm. I'll have a proper a proper sleep. So mm. it really depends on the time of day, definitely. And I think mm. it's it's probably annoying to other people if they're trying to sleep and I'm typing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. yeah. So, no, that's very true, very yeah. true. But if it's uh, the daytime, yeah, definitely. I use that time because it's such a – it's great. It's uninterrupted, you know, except it's so bizarre when you're in America because they've got Wi-Fi in so many of their planes there and I'm just communicating with the office while I'm 20,000 feet in the air. It's the bizarrest thing. Um, Americans are used to it, but we're certainly not used to it in Australia. Um, but it's, 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 it's a bit freaky when you're actually communicating with people while you're uh. in, you know, a metal tin. Uh, in in the stratosphere. Yeah, somewhere. yeah, no. I I like to try and pretend that I'm not there, so I, <laughs> I don't talk to anyone. It's just I just like putting myself in a bubble and being yeah. like, yeah, by yeah, yourself. Think, yeah, love it. I think so. Yeah. All right. So where do we find you online, Al? You will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And, and you, Val? 
You'll find me at Valerie Koo, K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram, and feel free to connect with me on Facebook as well. And, of course, join us in the podcast listener community. So you want to be a writer podcast community on Facebook, we'd love to have you in there. And, of course, the show notes are at soyouwanttobearawriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.